Luke chapter 15, the last verse there, verse 32, it says, it was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. This is the concluding verse of this chapter, Luke 15. We'll be, we'll be looking throughout the chapter, focusing on the parable that this verse is a part of, the parable of the prodigal son. Of course, a very familiar parable to us. And it, of course, is the conclusion of a series of three parables that Jesus speaks here in this chapter, all on themes of something being lost and being found. The first is the, the parable of the lost sheep in which the one sheep leaves the flock and the shepherd leaves the 99 there and, and he finds the one and there's much rejoicing. And then there's the parable of the lost coin in which the widow loses one of her 10 silver coins and, and she finds it after a long search and, and there's much rejoicing at that as well. And here in verse 32, we saw the rejoicing at the son who was lost and is found. When we're talking about these, these stories that Jesus told called parables, he often spoke in them and during his ministry on earth. And what a parable is, it, it's a story that Jesus tells from something that his audience would know well to illustrate something that they didn't know as well. The word parable itself is a, is a compound Greek word meaning to set beside. It means you have something and then you bring something else alongside it for comparison's sake. And in, in doing this, Jesus would tell stories about agriculture or fishing or business, things that the, his audience knew well, things of this earth, to illustrate truths from heaven. And in determining the meaning of a parable, things can get tricky sometimes. It's important to look at exactly what the context of the passage is. In verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15, we can get some insight into this. It says, then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And it's at that point that Jesus begins speaking the parable. See, these two verses, they don't look like much, that, but they give to us Jesus' two audiences. It describes to us the publicans and sinners that he's sitting there eating with. Publicans were, were tax collectors. They were Jews in the employ of the Roman Empire. This put targets on their backs, majorly so. The Jews did not want anything to do with the publicans because they viewed them as traitors. They were sellouts. Even though they were Jewish people, they'd chosen to work for the Roman Empire. And there were, there were sinners, it says. Sinners were people who were known to be involved in sinful lifestyles and career choices. And so Jesus is dining with these publicans and sinners and ministering to them. So that's, that's one aspect of his, his audience. And then the other is the Pharisees and scribes that are there as well. And verse 2 says they're murmuring about him and saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. They're saying this man claims to be someone from God and yet he's, he's fraternizing with these dirty people. How can he say that? And it is their murmuring that causes Jesus to, to deliver this parable in the first place. This, peril, this parable about the lost, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. In each of these parables, there tells about the thing that was lost being found, there being much rejoicing in that. Verse 7, in speaking about the sheep, it says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Verse 10, likewise says, 
I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And then we read verse 32 that says, It is meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. So Jesus is here correcting the thinking of the Pharisees and scribes, those who were saying he shouldn't have anything to do with the people that they deemed dirty. He's correcting their thinking and saying, no, when a sinner comes to repentance, that is a joyous thing. In each of the verses that I just read, verse 7, verse 10, and verse 32, Jesus makes clear the emphasis of these three parables, and that is that repentance brings God joy. It did back then, and it still does today. The, the parable of the prodigal son, which we'll focus on from here on out, is a story of repentance. The prodigal son's path in this journey goes through three stages, each one mirroring a stage of our own walks. Stages that we have reached, or maybe there's some here who do need to reach the stages of repentance that the prodigal son did. And as we go through this story, allow the, the word of God to teach you about repentance and the joy that it can bring. The first stage that we'll look at is the stage of rejection. The stage of rejection. Verse 11, if you'll read with me, it says, A certain man had two sons. Jesus is telling this story, and he says, And the younger of them said unto his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. I want you to notice the son's attitude here. He comes to his father, a man who, in that society, whose, whose station would have demanded great respect, and he said, give me. You know, he gives his father a command rather than a request, a command for something to which he was not entitled until his father's death. It would have been a violation, really, for his father to give him his inheritance prematurely. This is not something that took place in this society. And yet the son believed that he was entitled to this. He was arrogant. He wanted what he thought he deserved. There's a point in all of our lives where we're choosing to violate our Heavenly Father because of what we want to do, because of what we feel we ought to be able to do. When we want to go live in our sin, when we want to have our own, this stage of rejection that we've all been in. And the prodigal son, he takes his inheritance and he, he moves far away and he finds two things. He finds first, letter A, enjoyment. There in verse 13, it says, he wasted his substance with riotous living. Verse 30, it says he devoured his living with harlots. He, he found great enjoyment in what he was doing. He was having fun. He was partying day in and day out, and these things were enjoyable to him, and that's because sin is fun. The Bible says in James 1, 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
The devil understands our minds. He understands our desires. And the devil tempts us with things that are enticing to us, things that we want. He did it in the Garden of Eden with Eve. He, verse, or Genesis 3, 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. It was when she saw that the fruit was good, when the devil made her, when the devil made her see that the fruit was good, that she, she partook of that. Think of Achan in the city of Ai, and they were told not to, they were told not to take of the, the spoils, and, and Achan chose to do that. He chose to take that sin upon his family and into the camp because the, the, the spoils, the gold, the, the costly raiments, things that he desired, he, he went against God's command in that. I think of David. He looked upon Bathsheba, saw that he was beautiful. He desired her and he took her to himself. The devil understands what we desire. He understands that sin is enticing. And the prodigal son found great enjoyment in his rejection there. There is enjoyment in sin. And this is why so many people are perfectly willing to remain in their sin, even though on some level they know that it is wrong. It's because they haven't yet realized that along with the enjoyment of sin, there's also, let her be, emptiness. The prodigal son's enjoyment ran dry very quickly, and he was reduced to feeding pigs. You know, he being part of the Jewish culture, pigs were unclean, according to the law. Anything having to do with pigs was undignified, it was dirty. This would have been the most demeaning thing that the prodigal son could have taken part in was being forced to live among pigs and and serve pigs. And yet this is what he was reduced to because of the emptiness involved in sin. Look there in verse 16. It says, And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. That word fain is not one that we hear very often. It's one of those old King James words. But what what it means is with pleasure. It means with pleasure he would have loved to eat what the pigs were eating the husks that it's talking about. And specifically, these husks, as I found, they're a plant that's indigenous to the region. They're called carob pods, carob pods. I didn't know what those were. They're, they're almost like little beans that grow on trees. They're, they're like seed capsules. And uh, down in Texas, we have what's called mesquite trees, and they have beans similar to this, and they're just these little crunchy things that, that they're oblong, they fall off trees, and you find them all over the ground at certain times of year. We have a mesquite tree in my own backyard, and often I'll, I like to go outside in our backyard and just relax under the shade of our mesquite tree or the minimal shade that a mesquite tree offers. But never have I once wanted to take up a scoop of those mesquite beans and take a big bite, because they're not appetizing. They're not good for food. This is, this is why they were given to fatten up livestock in this time, these carrot pods. That's what they used them for. And in certain times, they were used in self-denial. You know, people would choose to eat these carrot pods because it was demeaning on purpose in similar fashion to the way that someone in mourning in this day would clothe themselves in sackcloth and put ashes on their head. They, in a, a similar way, they would eat these carrot pods because it was intentionally demeaning to them. You know, they were showing their own humility in abasement. But this isn't something that you would want to have to eat. You know, he, he, was, he was in a bad way, is what I'm trying to get across to you. He was, you know, he had had all this enjoyment. He had had what he thought was everything he ever wanted, but then it was gone. 
and he was left with emptiness. And sin is the same way. I think in Hebrews 11, when it tells us that Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, because he understood that it was just for a season. And this is the choice that we have to come to at a certain point, is while, yeah, there is enjoyment in our sin, we have to have the realization that it's just for a season, and that there's really no fulfillment in it. There's emptiness in sin. I've heard it said before that sin is like a jail cell, but it's, it's, it's furnished, it's, it's nice on the inside, and the door's wide open. You're free to go at any time, but why would you ever want to? Because it's so nice in there. But the thing about sin is that one day the, the door of that jail cell is going to slam shut, and it'll be too late. We have to make the choice to exit the prison of sin, even though it's a nice one to be in at times. Another quote says, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So we looked at the stage of rejection there. How the prodigal son, he thought he had everything he ever wanted. He had all the, all the enjoyment going for him, but it all dried up and he reached the point of emptiness. And then we'll move on to the second stage that we'll look at tonight is the stage of repentance. Look with me in verse 17. It says, And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. So this whole story is one that's talking about repentance, and this is the moment where the prodigal son repents, what I like to call his pig pen moment. And there's two aspects to this as well, the first being his observation, There in verse 17, he says, I perish with hunger. This was the moment where he realized that sin wasn't all enjoyment. Where he said, there's no fulfillment in the life that I've been living. There's a problem. I'm causing harm to myself. I'm causing pain to my father. He observed that his sin was wrong. See, I like to think that repentance or not, I like to think that the definition of the word repentance in, a, in accordance with the, the words used in the original languages of the Bible, it says it's to think again. It's a change of mind. It's something that you once thought at one point, you no longer think anymore. See, repentance for us is that moment when we realize, choose to realize really, that our sin is not okay. It's the moment when we stop excusing our sin and recognize the harm that it causes to ourselves, to others, and to God. This is the observation that the prodigal son made here, but it wasn't just an observation. Let her be also, there was his ownership. You see, he observed that there was a problem, but he took ownership of that in verse 18 when he said, I have sinned. He didn't choose to blame his situation on others. He recognized that it was the result of his own sin, of the way that he had been choosing to live. This is repentance in a nutshell. It's observing the harm that's being done by the sin in your life 
and admitting, taking ownership of the fact that you and only you are the one who caused that. See, there's this pig pen moment that the prodigal son had, the moment of his repentance, a moment that I pray most everyone in this room can look back on in their own life. When they saw the station of life that they were in without God, living in their sin, in the filth of a pig pen, and knew something needed to change, knew that they were there because of the sin in their own life, the choices that they personally had made, and knew that something had to change. Maybe you're in that pig pen tonight. Maybe you don't have God. But look with me at the return. Look with me at the change that the prodigal son chose to make in his own life. Look with me in verse 20. It says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. See, the prodigal son had his pig pen moment where he knew that where he was at in life wasn't going to cut it. He observed the harm he was causing to himself and he took ownership of the fact that it was his own. And what change did he make? He returned to his father. His father that had been there waiting for him the entire time. His father that had never wanted him to leave and so desperately wanted him to return. And he turned to his father. It took some humility. It took him being willing to go to his father and saying, hey, I wronged you. I know I don't deserve this. He said, I'm not worthy to be called your son any longer, but will you take me back? The father welcomed him with open arms, just as our heavenly father does to every sinner who reaches that point of repentance, who chooses to turn to Jesus Christ for salvation. And, and what, what were the outcomes of this return? Letter A, there was joy. Remember, this whole group of parables is talking about the joy in God's heart over one sinner that repenteth, and that joy is reflected in the reaction of the father in the story. His father was waiting for him. I can just imagine that father sitting there on the porch just as he, he probably had many days before, and he saw somebody cresting the hill in the distance. He, he probably rubbed his eyes and thought, no, I'm imagining things. He's probably been imagining things once or twice. But as the person on the hill came closer, he said, no, that's my son. And it says he ran to him. A Jewish man, especially a, an older Jewish man a, like, this, like this man would have been, would never run. This would be something that would be undignified. They would never do this. And yet the father was so overjoyed to see his son returning that he ran to him. It says he fell on him. He embraced him. He kissed him. This shows the level of overwhelming joy that he felt at his son's repentance and return. It says he gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, he gave him shoes, and these were status symbols. You know, the son was coming back saying, I don't deserve to be part of your family. I barely deserve to be one of your servants. And the father says, no, I don't, I don't mind any of that. 
I'm welcoming you back fully. I'm giving you the honors of a son again. Ephesians 2.19 shows this in our own lives as we return to our Father from our sin. It says, Now then are ye no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. See, when, when a sinner turns to God for salvation, they don't, they don't get it on a probationary basis. God doesn't say, yeah, you can be safe for now, but if you, if you mess up, that's it. No, God welcomes us fully. We're part of his family. He welcomes us as his own. This is what the prodigal son found. And then there was joy. They feasted. It says, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. There was joy when the prodigal son returned, but there was also, let her be, jealousy. See, this would be the role of the, the publicans and sinners in this situation. Remember, they were, they were speaking out against the, public, the publicans and sinners that, had, that were dining with Jesus, and, or the, and then the Pharisees and scribes, rather. The Pharisees and scribes were murmuring in jealousy. This is the attitude of the older brother, the older brother that hadn't left. In verse 25, it says, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto them, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. See, the older brother objected to the return of the lost just like the Pharisees and scribes had. See, they didn't want those dirty people coming to Jesus. They didn't want anything, they didn't want him to have anything to do with the publicans and sinners. That's because just like this older brother, they didn't see them through the father's eyes. See, the older brother was there, bitter, saying, you don't remember all the bad things that he's done? He's been devouring his living with harlots. He's been doing this and this and this. He's been working with pigs. Look at all the things that I've been doing. I've been here. I've been serving. I've been doing my part. And he's the one who gets the recognition. He's the one that's giving you joy with his repentance. This is the jealousy and the bitterness that was reflected in the older brother. And it's because he didn't see the, the younger son as the father did. He, he hadn't been the one there waiting for the son to return. He hadn't been the one to feel the heartbreak when the son left in the first place. He didn't put himself in his father's shoes. And I think many times as we, we who, who have had that pig pen moment, we who, have, who are saved, who, and when we see other people coming to God or when we see other people being ministered to, sometimes we can have this attitude in our hearts as well, to our shame. We can say, why are they worth the time? Why is the church reaching out to those people? 
And I'm here. I'm in my place. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And yet we forget that those people are people that Jesus died for. You know, when Jesus was on that cross, he had you on his mind. He had me on his mind. Praise be to God. But he had them on his mind as well. And it breaks his heart to see them living without him. To see them not knowing or not caring what he did for them. To see them continuing to live in the pig pen. It breaks his heart. And he's sitting there waiting, wanting them to return. And we have the gall to have bitterness and jealousy in our hearts when they do. To not respond with the joy that the Father feels over one sinner that repenteth. I think of John chapter 8 when there's a story of a woman who was, who was taken in adultery and the Pharisees and they come to Jesus and say, this woman was taken in adultery, she deserves to be stoned to death. And Jesus says, he that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And one by one, the Pharisees dropped their stones and they walked away because they realized where the sin in their own hearts. And before we respond with jealousy, before we try to get in the way of someone else coming to Jesus for repentance, we need to remember where we came from. When we were there in that pig pen, when we were there in the emptiness that we ourselves had brought on us with our sin, we need to remember all the times that we broke God's heart with the things that we chose to do, the times that we chose to defy him, the sin in our own hearts that drove Jesus to the cross for us. But he that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit is applying this passage to your heart tonight. Maybe you sit here as the lost son. And you've got to remember that there is joy over one sinner that repenteth. Maybe you're still there. Maybe you realize, maybe you haven't realized the harm that your sin is causing you and God. But I tell you that God is waiting for you. He wants you to be a part of his family. And if there hasn't been a point where you've said, hey, I need to make a change. I need to return to my father I need to accept Jesus as my savior because he died on the cross to pay for my sins and make a way for me to go to heaven. Maybe you sit there as the lost son and you need to have that that pig pen moment of repentance. The father was watching and waiting, but it was the son's job to make the decision to return. The father wasn't going to go get him. The son came all the way back and the father welcomed him. Mark 8.36 says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Don't sit there in the enjoyment of your sin until it's too late. Maybe on the other side of things, there have been times when you've been the jealous brother. And I say to you tonight, never let anything in your life keep another from Christ. Because of your own entitlement, because of what you think you deserve because of some delusion of superiority that makes you think that some person or some group of people or some type of person isn't worthy of the gospel any longer. I challenge you to see people how God sees them.
as people made in his image whom he died for, whom he loves more than anything, whom he loves just as he loves you. Bow your head with me tonight and dwell on these things. As the pastor comes here in a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. Heavenly Father, God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for stories such as these that show us what it is to repent. Lord, I'm thankful that you haven't given up on us, that you never did, even in all those times where we were there breaking your heart in our sin. Lord, and I, I pray for any tonight who, who may need to make the decision to trust you as Savior. Lord, or any tonight who, who need to remember the time when they repented. Lord, work as you will. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.